You're with 3CR. Up next, we continue on the theme of First Nations justice with keynote speeches from a symposium on dwelling justice held at the Capitol Theatre here in uh, Melbourne in August. The event brought together grassroots individuals, groups and activist scholars to talk about the radical potential for resistance and resistance to dispossession, displacement and the precarity in the activist space. Organised by RMIT's Centre for Urban Research, the forum was supported by the International Journal of Housing Policy, RAHU, the Renters and Housing Union, and 3CR. So over the next few weeks, you'll hear discussions on the relationship between colonial dispossession, housing injustice, incarceration, racial violence and poverty, and how we all have a role to play in building solidarity among movements. So today's broadcast is Sovereignty and Decolonisation, featuring Linda Kennedy, Lydia Thorpe and Robbie Thorpe. Architectural design activist Linda Kennedy, whose independent design studio Future Black was established to decolonise the built environment, introduced the 2022 Forum for Dwelling Justice. Uh, Yalanga and Walawani, everyone. Before I begin, I'd just like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations and acknowledge that we're on unceded land, sovereign land that was never ceded, and to acknowledge the displacement histories from the place where we meet here today and the privilege that it is for us to meet here on this land, considering the histories of where we are, um, and also acknowledge any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that are here with us today. My name is Linda Kennedy. I'm a Yuan woman from the south coast of New South Wales, and my bloodline connection comes back to Gunai country and Wajabalak in western Victoria, um, and Radjuri country in western New South Wales. I've got, I guess, two two jobs here today. One is to have Jan and tell you a bit of, I guess, bring some context to the conversations we're having here today around dwelling injustice, and also to introduce our keynote speaker. So first I'll just start by kind of having a yarn. One of my sister girls rang me last night when I've been feeling pretty nervous about coming here today. This is the first time I've actually spoken at something like this since having my daughter, who's three years old now. Um, and I'm, this is the first time I've been away from her for the longest period of time. And I'm feeling this extreme like anxiety of separation. If there's other mums in the room who might know that feeling. But it's definitely impacted my sense, I guess, of confidence coming up and having a yarn. Um, also, I guess the shift for me in having a daughter and for other people who have got people in their care of what it means to actually have security in housing and how that impacts their everyday life as parents or carers and people who have responsibility to other people in their lives. My background, or I guess why Libby's invited me here today, my training is in architecture and planning. So I studied down here in Melbourne, actually, and lived here for a few years. The complexities, I guess, within the architecture industry are what drove me away from that space and pushed me towards trying to build my knowledge of the planning industry more. I love design and I love designing and I love architecture. This is a very curious space for having this forum in. My uh, work within architecture is, I guess, focused on decolonizing design, which is looking at ways in which we can undo, I guess, some of the systematic um, processes within architectural design to shift more focus and balance to Aboriginal ways of knowing, doing and being. I guess for people here who may have some understanding of architectural practice, like it's a very exclusive industry and it's not just in the way that design kind of occurs, but the systems that surround it. And a big part of that is governance. And I guess the more that I was working within the architectural design space, 
the more I could see how these limitations in governance where everything is going back to a mainstream system are really limiting the ability for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have impact in that space while all the decision making is still going back to non-Aboriginal people um, with values that are set within a settler colonial governance system. And that these limitations, it's not just having impacts for Aboriginal people, but for everyone. You know, some of the, I guess, the lens that I see that through is how, you know, design in term, particularly for housing, but also in urban design in Australia, have been used as tools to control and assimilate Aboriginal people from the onset of invasion. Particularly, I think missions are the easiest way to understand how design has been used to control control us. But the nuclear household is also a really kind of stark example of how the you know, the values and, and ways of living from, you know, the homelands of our invaders has had really significant impacts on our quality of life and also our cultural genocide in, in disconnecting us from the ways that we've lived for thousands of years and sustainably for thousands of years. And to say that the nuclear household doesn't doesn't work for anybody, it's not just for Aboriginal people that it, that it doesn't work. So I've been working on my own projects back on my home country on the south coast in the Illawarra of New South Wales. Has anybody here been to the Illawarra around Wollongong Shaw Harbour areas? Yeah, a few people. So it's a we've got a you know re reasonable sized Aboriginal community. Like we've got two cities, Shaw Harbour and, and Wollongong. It's it's a complex, I guess, social history. Part of the displacement histories on the south coast are similar to other areas along the, the east coast of Australia where. Aboriginal people were moved off country into missions or reserves, but a lot of our family groups still have connection to country up and down the coast from the Sydney basin right down to where the Victorian border is, what we now know as the Victorian border. And I guess some of the, the biggest impacts from colonisation is the exclusion of Aboriginal people from decision making processes about country. And working regionally, like I think this is something that from a a conceptual point of view we can understand but what that means on the ground I think is really important to understand at a local level and something that my interests or energies are being invested in at the moment. Part of this is at a local level I think when we're in Melbourne there's a pretty strong kind of political base we wouldn't get anywhere near as many of these people back home if we held an event like this. The one of the challenges working locally and regionally is how to, I guess, create some kind of subversion to the system uh, in a way that's inclusive and makes people feel like they can be part of the journey. So often the energies that go into that space are actually around community building and creating safe spaces, not necessarily around um, bringing up the bigger political issues and that they, they're conversations that can be brought in after there's a level of, of safety and um, I guess, capacity building within our local community. Uh, some of the issues that we have on country at the moment are around uh, this, you know, underground mining has been going on for since extractive industries have been the basis of the economic industry in the Illawarra since invasion. Beginning with cedar logging, like it took 40, only 40 years for the colony to extract all of the cedar from the escarpment in the Illawarra shell mining, uh, mining for shells off our shell middens, which um, for lime for building. So a lot of our shell middens along the coast have been destroyed very early on in invasion to support colonial building. The, um, the railway that was built to get down to Port Kembla, where we've got a large port in Port Kembla, 
has really impacted the ability for water to flow from our mountains on the escarpment down to the, to the lake to filter out to the ocean. These things continue today, you know, the impacts that have been from the, you know, the early 1830s when white fathers were first coming down there, they continue today. And they also found the decisions that are made now in terms of future planning for our region. You can really clearly read in our, you know, local and regional planning documents how the economic basis for our whole region is based on mining and conversations to stop this go through, you know, our land rights legislation in New South Wales. I'm not sure how, how similar it is in Victoria. Go back to a system of lands councils, yet our lands councils are set within a system that's in a colonial governance system. So there are significant flaws when our position to have voice and power sits within a system that disempowers us from, from the onset. And our exclusion from the constitution is, you know, the, the foundation of that exclusion from decision making today. I guess to share with, from a local perspective and from an Aboriginal perspective, how we can start to shift these things is like a lot of the energies that I see put into change making today come to building the capacity of non-Aboriginal people to engage with Aboriginal content or Aboriginal cultures. And I understand why this is important, especially with the levels of racism that have happened across the last couple of centuries in Australia. But it is equally, and I would say more important, that we start to invest our energies in our money in building the capacity of Aboriginal people to engage in these systems, rather than always having the focus on building the capacity of non-Aboriginal people. And if that's the main takeaway that I can give to you today, to take back to whatever it is within your organisations or your schools or wherever it is that you've come from, to really consider when you're looking at creating change within your organisation, like who you're creating that change for and what the benefits are for Aboriginal people. Um, my next part to do today is to introduce Senator Lydia Thorpe to give our keynote today. So I'm going to introduce Sister Lydia. Um, Lydia is a proud Gunai Gunijmara and Jabarung woman. She's a human rights, climate and forest activist, a mother, a grandmother, and a survivor of family violence. She's the first Aboriginal woman in Victorian parliament and the first First Nations representative in Victoria in the federal parliament. Um, I think we should all know at least at some level in the media how deadly Lydia is. And Lydia is part of the change in governance that especially I know for myself as an Aboriginal woman that we've been seeking for and looking up to. And from New South Wales, we back you up, sis. And it's so great to have you today. Thank you, my sister, Linda. Before I start, I'd like to acknowledge that we're on stolen land and that we are on the lands of the Wurundjeri, the Woiwurrung and Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to particularly Wurundjeri people whose land we're on right now, who have maintained their resistance, who've survived genocide, colonisation, assimilation, and who continue to share their country, language, culture, dance and song with us today, despite the fact that you all benefit from being on stolen land and that we don't have a treaty and that we are still the sickest and poorest people in our own country. So I pay my respects to the warriors of the resistance when those ships first come to our shores 
and those frontier wars, the first invasion, the first conflict, the first war on these shores happen to First Nations people. And all of the issues that that has brought into our lives today still needs to be addressed. And that the only way we can do that is to have a treaty. As you know, we are sovereign people and we have never ceded our sovereignty. We've maintained our language, we've maintained our dance, song and connections to country. And we continue to resist colonisation. And we're doing that at every possible level. But we can't do that by ourselves. We need the rest of the population to stand with us and ensure that these injustices come to an end once and for all. It's not about turning up at a rally and screaming Black Lives Matter. It's not just about that. It's about what you do every day when you get out of bed and you say that you're a good ally. It's what you do as individuals that can make a difference. And that is to let go of your privilege and allow First Nations people to have the platform, to have the voice, and for us to self-determine our own destiny, for us to economically empower ourselves. A voice to parliament won't do that. A voice to parliament is an advisory body that will tell you what we've been saying for 200 years. And we can't have justice if we are still burying our people every day like we are. Our people are dying in custody. Our people are dying from treatable diseases in this country. Our people are homeless in our own country and struggling to maintain their lives through a very, very racist regime that we're under in this country, and that is colonisation. We can only make changes in this country once we know the true history of this country and the truth of what colonisation brought. It not only brought disease, it not only tried to wipe First Nations people off the face of the earth in this country, it took our land, it took our children, it tried to take the very essence of who we are as Aboriginal people and they failed because you have Sister Linda standing before you, decolonising architecture and planning, and you have other mob in this room who have their own stories of survival and their own stories of resistance. Colonisation is the problem that we have in this country. And everything that we're dealing with, domestic violence, alcoholism, homelessness, incarceration, everything that we are facing are symptoms of colonisation. We are not the problem, as Ani Rosalie Kernoff-Monks said. Colonisation is the problem and we all should be responsible for decolonising because colonisation is brutal and it's there to divide us. 
and conquer us. We need to get back to what this country is really about, and that is the oldest continuing living culture in the world, who has the oldest constitution on this planet. I'm not talking about the colonial constitution, which everyone wants us to be a part of all of a sudden. I'm talking about the oldest constitution on the planet and the laws of this land is about looking after it. Pretty simple, right? Looking after each other makes sense. Ensuring that our totems are kept alive and that we're learning from our totems, that's decolonizing. And we have a lot of crown land still left in this country that should be part of an, a treaty negotiation. We have the Victorian Labor government wanting to talk treaty and truth, feeling really good about themselves to do that and good on them. But you can't talk treaty while you're logging my country. You can't want to sit around the table and negotiate treaty when you are destroying our totems. Our totems are becoming extinct because of the destruction of our land. And when a totem becomes extinct, a part of us goes with that. That's what we want you to feel, the pain and the loss that we've been feeling since invasion. And we want you to understand that you can't negotiate in good faith when you continue to destroy our country, when you continue to destroy our water, we can't rely on these governments to do the right thing because there is no good faith. There is no good faith when they want to drill the Otways and put supersonic powers and supersonic airways through the ocean that will instantly kill whales and dolphins. Instantly. They're our totems. They're part of our story. They're part of the story of this country and we have to take it back to what it is and what the law of the land is, which is something my uncle Robbie Thorpe has, has ingrained in me since I was a teenager, that we have to follow the law of the land, not the colonizers law, our law, the sovereign laws of these lands. And we have a real opportunity in this country right now, through a treaty, through truth-telling, to get this right. We have an opportunity to call for a moratorium on all Crown land across this country. If they want to talk about a voice to Parliament, well, let's stop the destruction. Let's stop the incarceration so we can at least be equal footing with you when it comes time to negotiate. How can we in good faith, in good consciousness, sit around a table when we are so traumatised, when we're fighting for our lives, when we're fighting for country, when we're fighting for water? We have to call these governments out on their make friends with one hand and stab us in the back with the other because there's no turning back. Once you destroy parts of this country, there are significant implications of what they are letting go. 
stories of absolute destruction of people and earth because there are certain things that should stay in the ground and drilling for gas and digging for coal and poisoning our waterways and taking the water, that puts us all in danger. And there are reasons why we have the stories associated with the country that we come from. There are reasons. It's not just a dream time story. It's not just something that you're meant to feel good about for a moment. You need to take them serious. They are calls to action. There are ways that you can help heal this country. We have to stop Crown land, so-called Crown land, being taken in the way that it is. We have to stop this manufactured consent where we have dodgy black corporations, native title corporations selling us out. They are selling us out. We have people making decisions for country that don't have bloodline connection to country. Native title is not land rights. Foley says, has said that for years. Uncle Bruce McGuinness said that. Native title is racist. It's a way to gain consent and create division within our families and our communities because our people are poor. And when they're dangled a carrot, when some of our mob are dangled that carrot, and you're offered a car and a lifetime job that's going to take your family out of poverty and get your kids into schools. Sometimes that carrot's just too good to refuse. So we need an alternative for our people where they can live and work on country and look after country like their old people have for thousands of generations. We need to be given that opportunity again. And land rights is still what we want. We want land back. And you have an opportunity, again, through your influences in whatever career you decide to go to or whatever one you're in now, to start talking about giving land back. Because we look after everybody. We don't look after ourselves. We look after everybody. We don't look after corporate mates. Treaty is a way forward. Local governments could put a moratorium on Crown land. Local governments can go into treaty talks with clans and nations and do this now. We don't have to wait for any government to tell us what to do. We could do this ourselves now. We're not in the constitution and neither is local government. So why not band together, use an Uncle Rob's advice from years ago again. We can work together in local communities, but having First Nations voices lead the way, not being the token blackfella that rocks up for a acknowledgement or welcome to country. We have to be making our own decisions and self-determining what is best for us. And we see right now in the Burrup Peninsula, Santos, have been found guilty of manufacturing consent. They rang the Traditional Owner Corporation a couple of times, no one answered. Then they spoke to someone on the phone and got permission. That's how manufactured consent allows the destruction of country. It is sophisticated genocide. And native title was set up to continue 
the genocide of our people. How? Destroy the family, make them fight one another. Destroy the land, make sure they can't go back to the land. This is happening right across this country every single day. And you hear about some in the media, but I can tell you what, there's hundreds more that you don't hear about. We have communities who can't even go and fish in their local waterways because either there's no water or the water is contaminated. So the livelihood and the health and well-being of that family clan is jeopardised because they don't have what they've always had to keep them thriving. So there is a lot we can do, but we can't have housing justice and climate justice and all the justice we talk about until we have First Nations justice. We need to implement the recommendations to the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. One of the recommendations is housing. Another recommendation is mental health. The recommendations have been sitting there for 30 years. And we have a Closing the Gap report that comes out today. This is, oh, incarceration rates are still high. We have removal rates that are still high and the Bringing Them Home report, which is 20 years old, and those recommendations still haven't been implemented. So if you want a voice to Parliament, which I'm hearing most of uh, white Australia wants these days and uh, not allowing First Nations voices to come and talk to you about why we don't want it, we want justice through the mechanisms that our old people have put before us and that have been sitting there for decades. Let's get that justice that'll bring peace to families tomorrow, not next year, not the year after. And we need those recommendations fulfilled so that our people can have a home to go to instead of being kicked out of the prison system at 2 a.m. in the morning having to steal a car to find somewhere to sleep. Revolving door. There's no supports and there's no home. And SIS touched on our missions and our reserves. They were concentration camps where our people couldn't speak language, couldn't practice culture. And if you wanted to get a job, then you weren't allowed back on the mission to be with your family. Once you went out to work, you weren't allowed back. And that happened to my grandfathers at Lake Tyres. And Lake Tyres had the first intervention in this country before the Northern Territory intervention. They called it the Community Renewal Program. They spent millions of dollars on what I call $2 shop homes, paper thin walls on one of the most pristine parts of the country, Lake Tyres. They have units on top of one another in this wide open space. They put corrugated fencing around people's homes. They change the glass windows to perspex. They rip the heart out of this community where my mother still lives today. They rip the heart out. There's no economic development. There's no economic opportunity. There's no self-determination. And if we want to look at a, an example in this country, Lake Tyres is it. So it is a call to action. It's not just a conference, Libby, I hope. It's a call to action. We need you to stand with us and call for justice 
call for the recommendations to be implemented so that our people have an opportunity to have a home, call for the recommendations to be implemented so that our children can stop being removed. I have two grandchildren who are from out of home care and my children are saying to me, mum, how do we support the mum who had her children taken away? She doesn't have a home, she doesn't have a job, she has substance abuse because she had her children taken away. There are no supports for this woman, nothing. So whilst we're comfortable, we have so many blackfellas in this country, particularly in this state, particularly in Gippsland right now, who are struggling to survive, they're struggling to put food on the table. Forget about a home, because that's just not possible. It's just not accessible. And with a waiting list of what, over 20,000 people just in Victoria for public housing, it's a dream. And that's why our families are overloaded, overcrowded, because we, don't, we won't let our people sleep on the street. So I urge you all to come on this journey. Think about a treaty. Think about how a treaty works for you in your space and think about how a treaty will work for this nation. It's about maturing, it's about decolonising and it's about economic empowerment and self-determination for our people. And we have in the parliament right now, which I introduce, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And Article 10 will tell you, you can't remove Aboriginal people from their home. We need this country to help get that declaration into the laws of this country because they won't just benefit us, they'll benefit you all and so will a treaty. Thank you very much. Senator Lydia Thorpe there with the first of the sovereignty keynote addresses delivered as part of a symposium on dwelling justice brought to you by RMIT's Centre of Urban Research. Robbie Thorpe delivered the second sovereignty keynote. Um, Libby Porter, one of the event organisers, introduces Robbie. You're on 3CR. And it is my great pleasure to do this, uh, to introduce Robbie Thorpe, proud Gunai man, staunch and fierce activist and warrior uh, for his people since at least the 1970s, leading actions like movements like Pay the Rent, Black GST, um, the Aboriginal Passport Initiative and so on. Uh, you would know him through 3CR, I'm sure. Um, shout out to 3CR. Thank you, marvellous people. Um, and a huge thanks to you, Robbie, for being here um, and wrapping up our session. Okay, over to you. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here and thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to you as all. After all my years of working in and around politics in regards to our know, basic and fundamental human rights, including housing, was to arrive at the uh, uh, the conclusion that we're talking about what I coined as the black GST. They're the issues that need resolving in this country, issues surrounding the genocide, the premeditated criminal act, intentional genocide, which created the opportunity to dwelling our land. Also the issues surrounding sovereignty, you know, the law, the ancient 
precedent, sustainable law that managed and cared for this land since time immemorial beyond their dating techniques. And the other thing is the fact that there's no treaty. That's the black GST, GST, genocide sovereignty, lack of consent, treaty, jurisdiction, or right to occupy. Australia is the only Commonwealth country out of 76 Commonwealth countries not to have treated with the original people. And as you can see, there's not one square inch of that land there that's not accounted for. And the population of that, those people there went from 100% only about 250 years ago to less than 3% today. So that gives you an idea of the, uh, uh, the, the colonial project here in the land down under, out of sight, out of mind from the rest of the so-called civilised world at the time. And being able to get away with basically exterminating the original people. And look at Tasmania, what happened there. It's a, it's a classic example of what genocide is, isn't it? And Victoria's not very far behind it. Yeah. Our first homes, you know, I'm not talking about our homelands. You see how many homelands are there? That's what we call our dwelling, our occupation. That's our site, that's our home. And we didn't live in boxes like colonisers did, cut themselves off from the real world. Now their ideas and, and concepts about what civilization was very far removed from what we were considering as that has been. And yet we're still failed to see their, their civilization, their Christianity, as they, they promised our people. In exchange for our land, where is it? It's not there. Lawless, mindless, and illegal occupation. So how do you have dwelling justice on stolen land, folks? That's the reality. Terra nullis. That's a criminal act of premeditated genocide, folks. Make Hitler look like an amateur. Apartheid law. This is it come from this country. It's called the Reserve Act. South Africa adopted that about 1950, such a good way to deal with you know, the, uh, the original people, the owners of the land. And you're occupying our land. You're not paying the rent to the original people, are you? You're paying it for the terrorists. The taxes to the terrorists, the legal aliens who call themselves governments. You know, got no proof of peaceful settlement. Can anyone tell me what the peaceful settlement was here in this country? This is, I'm, I'm building up to the fact that you don't have to pay rent to murdering thieves and liars if you don't want to. What you should do is acknowledge the people whose land it is that you're standing on. Now, you have a look at every law that was ever created in this country for our people. It's an act of genocide. There's a genocidal character about that. And, and it, Obviously, you haven't got consent to make laws for our people. Where'd you get that authority? No one can tell you. You're not the sovereign. You're frauds, you're fakes. This is a falsehood. And all these boxes that you put on our sacred land, I can't stand the thought of it. There's a lot of empty places here. And, um, you know, it's, it's like a cancer. 
we see the land as something different and living in a box where you, you go into toilet and you shit in the fresh water. What sort of society is that? It's mindless. It's backward. And we've been forced to assimilate into it brutally. And people got no idea of the gravity of crime scene Victoria, let alone crime scene Australia. You know, the racism's not just institutionalised here, it's constituted, as we all know, right? White only. It's all about engineered immigration into this country. Have a look. If you don't agree with what they say, you don't get in, are you? And you're forced to assimilate into it. But what's the saving grace is the Aboriginal people and their resistance to that beast they call the British Crown. We didn't consent. We didn't treaty. Like I said, we're the only ones who didn't treaty. There's a little gap there in the law that everybody should support our people's just cause in this land. We'll cut your rents in half. Less tax, better conditions, no guns, no prisons. We don't need that shit. No. Don't even need paper when you work our way because what do you need to write things down on paper for? What's your brain there for? You know, there's, there's other ways of looking at this world. You know, they need to step out of their assumed authority and delusional notions of superiority. They need to do it really quickly. I'll tell you why. Because there's a parallel between genocide and ecocide probably homicide and suicide, throw that in there as well. But they're all connected folks, you know, and we're talking about dwelling justice. My people, the dwelling that they're talking about, the only things when we lived in boxes was in concentration camps in our own land. People don't realise that for a couple of generations, probably three generations that we spent in concentration camps, out of sight, out of mind, in little boxes all in a row all living on top of each other in these big expanses, you know, designed to destroy us mentally and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, talk about houses. You know, after the, after the First World War, Aboriginal people fought in that war, but they never got any soldier settlement. Where we, you know, like for my family, for example, if my great grandfather had got some sort of soldier settlement and had some sort of house that all the white soldiers had, would have had a, made a hell of a difference in growing up over those years. In fact, none of wasn't giving the soldiers the, the housing settlements. They were taking the reserved land off the Aboriginal people who they were killing off. You know, Australia started off with a really brutal genocide. You can imagine, you know, there's massive sites all over this place. People don't know much about the real history here. It's very convenient. And then, What's that saying, Jesus? I think he said, there's none so blind than those who will not see. And this is what Australia is to me. You know, it's a classic in total denial. And denial is the worst problem you've got. Can't deal with reality. It's insanity. So this is why a lot of average people just not real keen to join into the system. You know, this, you know, making it, so we want to be a part of their backward constitution the white only policy constitution. 
what blackfellow in their right mind would want to be a part of that? We weren't part of it to begin with. You know, we didn't qualify back then. We don't want it now. What's in it for us? Nothing. There's nothing in it for us. And all of the, you know, the survival programs that the government said they were going to be responsible for, like housing, health, um, welfare, none of that ever came through. Right? So average people had to create their own health services, their own uh, housing projects, their own legal service, free dental, holistic health programs, you know, it was pioneering stuff. We created them ourselves in spite of the government's duty of care and fiduciary obligation they have to us. And they took our land for their welfare, for us to get welfare. We, that was a deal. There's no peaceful settlement here other than that. That's what it was. The struggle for land justice for our people. People realise that it's been going on since day one, since it's all arrived here. It's all about the struggle for land rights. Where's that? Like Lydia said before, naive title is not land rights and reconciliation is not justice. Now we don't need non-Aboriginal people managing our affairs. We don't need corporate blacks who are, who are government uh, funded and corporate governed representing us. They don't represent us. You see that there's 300 black nations there. How's a little dodgy token voice going to represent that in the foreigners parliament? And they've been advising those people the whole time. And anyway, there's some women in there now giving them some curry. We've got a grace a great voice in Parliament at the present time. We don't need any more of that crap. We need a voice in our local community. That's what's important. That's where the voice is important. We don't need anything else other than that. You know, and thankful to FreeCR Community Radio. That's given some some of our people a real voice in our community. Otherwise you wouldn't hear what we're trying to say. It's very guarded Australia. You know, every institution is racist in the extreme. Sorry. Sorry. That's one of the words they use around here, isn't it? For crimes against humanity, you just say sorry. Sorry for stealing your children for over the generations, abusing and raping them and murdering them. Where are they anyway? Where are all the kids? You want to look under your churches, Oz? It's not over yet, are you? It's still an open wound. No treaty. There's no end of war. There's no even, not even a recognition of there was a war. But in anyone else's language, if, if a fleet of ships turns up in your territory, making claims, using weapons, and bringing biological warfare with them, with intent, that's war. That's an act of war. When you get with the program was, you got to deal with that reality. And when you do, you'll flip out the criminals that run the joint, whether they be the Labor Party was a bigger criminals, as far as I'm concerned, than the Liberals. In fact, the Labor Party created the Liberal Party. You know, in 1949, when they were supposed to uh, adopt and uh, ratify and adopt the Genocide Convention, the Labor Party thwarted it and gave rise to this really right-wing Nazi wet dream that Australia is today. And as time goes on, that'll all be revealed. Australia is 
is a Holocaust denial like no other. Everyone here living on the proceeds of that crime on our sacred Garden of Eden that we tended to and maintained for hundreds of thousands of years. And we have language, we have culture, we have science, we have medicine here. We can't access it because it's on your dwelling, it's your property. And your farmers, squatters, none of it was paid for, it's all stolen. That's where you, this is where you get your chance, right? So step up, stand with the original people of the land. We've got just cause, stand with us. We're not afraid of these pigs, but we need the support. Now, other countries around the world, they had access to other peoples. Like the American Indians, they had some access to other people, French, other people were giving them guns and stuff like that. Here, out of sight, out of mind, totally controlled. Very hard to get to Australia. But that word hope, we hope that you people can see the reality of this and do yourself a favour and liberate yourself. You know that every other country in the Commonwealth celebrates the day they remove the British crown? What does Australia do? Because what's at stake now, and I, I sort of knew that people don't care about genocide, that's irrelevant. But the issue that's going to affect people is ecocide. It affects everybody, all right? And that's what it took for this realisation, this awareness to start really kicking in. It's about the land, like we always said. We always said land rights. The land is our mother. We don't own the mother, right? But we're the law over it here. That's the difference. We're the customary law, not the British Crown. You've never seen me swearing allegiance to the British Crown, ever. I'll never work for them either. I'll never pay them tax either. Have a go. What do you got? Take them to court. Next step for this country is the International Criminal Court of Justice. Yeah. Not some sort of Mickey Mouse in-house truth commission, what the state of Victoria is talking about, and a treaty with themselves, as John Howard would say, how do you do treaty with yourself? And that's what the government's doing with their corporate appendages. The ones that took over our communities back in the day. We established the health services and that. And then the government forced them to become incorporated. That was the end of the self-determination and the beginning of the gap, the exponential creation of this gap. It created a middle-class black and even more destitute Aboriginal people, the clients of these organisations. They misrepresented on our heritage stuff, our welfare. You know, it's like an industry now for Aboriginal people, used to the white fellows industry, you know, the, the incarceration business, the, uh, the removal of children business, big industries, managing our welfare. Well, we don't need people from someone else managing our welfare. We can do quite well ourselves if we're given the opportunity. It's all about opportunities. Um, and getting a decent education, that's been a struggle. And that's why housing is so important. How do you, how do you get a job if you haven't got security of tenure? How do you exist like that? You can't. You need all those things in place. You need housing, you need a job to be able to, to be a part of this system. Well, we've never had that. We've struggled for every component of that, all those critical needs of our survival, we've had to really struggle for. 
and that's taken its toll, as as you can imagine, you know. And uh, we're not going to let go of our land either, by the way. And they made a big mistake when they came. They should have killed us all because we're not going to assimilate, right? So recognise our human rights or kill us all. It's like a torture being forced to become like something you detest most on earth. Take that on board, Oz. Not so, you know, superior. Look at your records. What do you got? What did you bring here? You know? How come you were swearing your allegiance to these criminals? Think about that. If you want to step out of that crap, come and see us. All right? Come and see us on Australia Day and we'll take you through a different ceremony where you can actually be a part of this land, understand it. Don't go stomping all over our grave sites and destroying our, our sacred places. Learn that when you come through our customs. I know that you never have. There's a great gap there. Right? And that's it's, it's the reasons you have all these deluded notions that somehow this is your land. It's not. It never will be. Like I said, we don't own land in, a, in the sense of white folks, but we are the law over it. We're the custodians, the caretakers, and the guardians, and they're real law. They're the real laws on this planet. You know, this aberration you call colonialism, it's like a disease, it's like a cancer devouring the natural world. You notice this? But I believe in miracles, like, um, what's his name? Scamo. <laughs> We can turn this around. What we can do is step up as the people and, and flip this colonial regime upside down and get rid of them. And you can start to talk about liberation. Then you can start talking about a day to celebrate. The day you get rid of them. Not any day before. And then we could, you know, have a, you know what a treaty does? It creates a, a legal basis of coexistence. It also ends war. Yeah, and that, that's the international standard of, of treaty. I, I believe in treaty at international law, not here. You know, it wouldn't even be the state government. Because it's between sovereign bodies. Treaties are usually done between sovereigns. Sorry, Oz, you're not a sovereign. Just hang over there, we'll sort stuff out. We're going to see Queen Liz about some unfinished business, like some back rent damages, crimes against humanity, war crimes commission stuff. Nothing too big. Once we sort that out, then we can all have this fantastic dwelling together in this space here and acknowledge the law of this land. It's so far superior. Believe me on that. Now, at least we had clean air and water for our kids in the next generation. You know, and we did have housing. We had actually the oldest houses known on earth here, down at Lake Conda. Those places were at least 50,000 years old, those houses. But they destroyed all that stuff because they, you know, Aboriginal people just savages wandering around aimlessly on this continent, weren't, didn't live sedentary or weren't housing like the civilised white man was. We were far more sophisticated than that. But we did have houses that we frequented, but we didn't, we moved around our tribal boundaries, not outside of them. 
were contained within our boundaries. That was our homelands. Our homelands. Your houses are on our homeland. We got nothing. We got none of that. We're paying for all this with our blood. I just want to acknowledge my ancestors and the ancestors of, of this country here under cool and the creator, Bunjil, creator, the eagle, old law. I acknowledge all those people who died at the hands of um, native police force. You know anything about native police? Mounted native police and how brutal they were. They'd done all the massacre. But they were paid by the state. That was the very first job Aboriginal people had. Have a look at the history of that before we go uh, sing up the praises of whose land this is. Here. We haven't had a truth commission. We had to, haven't had the findings of that truth commission. So, you know, there's more re re revelations to come. Because uh, time, it's, it's game over. Failed state, look what you've done to the land. You, you know, you destroyed it. Like we said, don't harm the land. The sites are sacred. You're going to pay a price for messing with those things. We know. Because we've been there and done that because of our ancient experience and history here. We've made these stupid mistakes before about being greedy, selfish. We've done all that. That's why we can see where this country's going. So we step up, folks. Last chance. This is the last train to liberation, maybe. Stick with us. Now, we know this country. We know how to live on it. And not just with ourselves, with all these other black nations in harmony, with everything else on this land, all the other life on it. All the things were equal to us on the, the totems. Just very important law. It's a, it's a higher law than most indigenous people around the world have totem law. And it's, it's, it's such a beautiful higher law than what, what we're being forced to accept in this country today. You know, we can do better. You're not convict penal convicts no more. You still got the shackles on your, your hands and your wrists and your feet. And what do you actually know about this place? Now, I agree, our people suffer a lot from this, um, you know, reservation mentality handout. But the white fellow suffers from the convict penal colony mentality. So, you know, like we've got issues together, but let's let's do some miraculous thing. And before before Christmas this year, we could have a liberated um, country. You know, and have, have a real day to celebrate. But at the bottom of this, it's the original people whose land you need to recognise. Like the, I've heard through the whole conference, which I've really enjoyed hearing all the, you know, the people speak here today. But it's all about the sovereignty of the original people, which underpins it all. And if you're not prepared to recognise that, well, where are we going? We're not going anywhere. And that's the linchpin for this bullshit system too. Once, once the people are aware and know how to step on that the right way, and I believe that is for a, a treaty, you could do that at the local level. You know, Australia's really totally over-governed. You don't need all these layers of useless, lard-ass bureaucracy there, making mega dollars and you know, big incomes, no outcomes. You know, we're, we're in the richest country in the world. We're the, probably the most impoverished people in the world in many ways. 
and it doesn't need to be happening. And it looks bad on this country. And uh, as time goes by, it'll even look worse and worse and worse. But I got I got faith and hope, a little bit of hope, that um we don't need the state. Stop hiding behind them. Stop hiding behind the queen skirt and that. Stay away from there. So, you know, it's not over. Uh, there's no consent. And if you haven't got consent, everything else is a crime. Right? It's simple as that for me. And and as time goes by, people are becoming more and more aware and their own mortality is becoming, and they're starting to see their own mortality in terms of the, the way that they're using the land and the, the climate. So let's get it on pace. And think about the next election. It'll happen as, as soon as that. Everyone here, very articulate, very well-spoken, could be running as an independent. That'll stuff them up. Anyway, there's probably enough of me talking. And I just want to mention these maps. That's the tribal map of Australia. And I think that one up there is the, the, the Aboriginal reserves. There's a lot of Aboriginal reserves in this country and uh, compounds and places where they kept average people. The massacre map, which is developing, that'll completely go yellow that map at one stage down the track because it's just total genocide. It's, you need deep in the blood of Aboriginal people. And um, I think that's the uh, the vegetation map, which just it, it correlates with the, the destruction of the, the people who protect the land. The environment gets destroyed and everything with it, all those totems, every, all those stories that go with it. So. Um, it's land rights now for everyone. We all live on Mother Earth. That's the dwelling. It's a sacred thing. We should all really respect it in the right way and we'll live forever. Thank you. Robbie Thorpe there delivering one of the sovereignty keynote addresses which were part of a public forum on dwelling justice. Stay tuned at the same time next week for more conversations from the forum on the radical potential for resistance to dispossession, displacement and precarity in the activist space. The forum was organised by RMIT's Centre for Urban Research and supported by the International Journal of Housing Policy, the Renters and Housing Union, RAHU and 3CR. So for more information and a full list of speakers and activities from the event, head to cur.org.au forward slash events dwelling justice and thanks to you for tuning in you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to allthews.3cr.org.au